Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. Why don't you grab a hand, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're doing today. We pray, God, that you would just move on us and that you would impact us for love. Amen. This morning is going to probably be the simplest message, that, at least that I've ever given, and I want to talk to you about love that never fails. And uh, I, I want to, you know, sometimes it's, um, sometimes we, we, I don't know about you, but I love heavy revelation, I love all the deep things God's been teaching us, and sometimes I think we lose sight of the most simple things of the gospel, the very things that we learn it's gospel, you know, 101, Jesus 101. And I want to talk a little bit about just the simple, the simplicity of loving Jesus, loving your neighbor, and loving yourself. So why don't you turn to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse 28. The scribes are interacting with Jesus. They're the Facebook detractors of Jesus' day. And they ask him, what is the foremost commandment of all? In verse 20, 29, Jesus answers, the foremost is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord with all of your heart. Everybody say heart. And all of your soul. Everybody say soul. And all of your mind. Say mind. And all of your strength. And the second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. In another place, Jesus said that all the law and all the commandments are summed up in two verses. Love God and love your neighbor. I, I don't know how, how hard is this, but love God and love your neighbor. Like all 66 books of the Bible summed up in two things. If we got it right, you'd get it all right. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as you love yourself. I was thinking about this and I, I wrote a little uh, Facebook post myself. I love Facebook. You get really good feedback there. <laughs> it expands your, your understanding. And I wrote, the Bible says that we should love our neighbor. God commands us to love ourselves so that we can love our neighbor. That was my Facebook post. And this uh, beautiful gal, um, she added, Jesus never told us to love ourselves. She, he only told us to love our neighbor. And you know, I, I read this and I'm like, it's really true. The commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself in the first century, in first century in, first, in, in the first century, people loved themselves, and so it made sense to love your neighbor as yourself. In the 21st century, I'm not so sure that people love themselves. So you have to love yourself as, as you have to love yourself so you can love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have to have a big ass so that you can love <laughs> your neighbor. Are you with me? If you don't love you, you won't love them. And, and the challenge is, is that I think that in the 21st century, we have redefined humility as feeling bad about yourself. And I'd propose that that is not humility, that is stupidity. It is stupid to not love the person God created. And people say things like, nobody loves me. How many of you know if nobody loves you, it means that you don't love you? Now, how many know you got to have some enemies? 
Jesus said, love your enemies. Thank you, Bill. Bill. Bill's teaching us how to choose your enemies well. You have to love your enemies. In fact, I think it was Bill who said, if you, you, know, if, if you don't run into a demon once in a while, you might be going the same way. If you don't have people who hate you, you might not be doing anything worth resisting. So it's important that you have enemies. And of course, I'm kind of joking that you should try and have enemies. But the point is that if you're doing anything for God, you will have people who don't like you. But if nobody likes you, that's not a commentary on people. It's a commentary on you. Have you ever met someone that you instantly didn't like for no reason that you could account for? Okay, here we go. This is going to sound a little spooky, but the truth is that if you don't like you, you produce a smell, and I use it as a metaphor, in the spirit that says, if you got to know me, you wouldn't like me. Have you ever met someone that is talking to you about, could you pray for me? Everyone rejects me, and you've met them for 30 seconds, and you want to reject them? You know why? Because they are emitting a smell in the spirit that says, I don't like me, I reject me. And when I reject me, I send a, you, uh, if you will, a subliminal message in the spirit that says, reject me, reject me. And what I'm getting at is that we are not doing God a favor by not loving us. You will not let someone love you more than you love you. And if someone tries to love you more than you love you, you will build a case against them. The more you want someone to love you, like the transient on the street, I walk by and he doesn't like me, I'd lose much sleep over that. But somebody I really, really want to love me, the more I want them to love me and the more I don't love me, did you get that? The bigger case I will build against them so that I reject them before they have a chance to reject me. And all of this is about not doing, not loving you well. In fact, Paul said to, the, to husbands and wives in, in, first, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, husbands, here's part of his counsel to husbands, there was more, but here's one line of, the, of his counsel to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes. Thus you shall love your wife, you shall love your wife as you love yourself. He says, no one ever hated themselves. In fact, they nourished and cherished themselves. And as you nourish and cherish yourself, that's how you should nourish and cherish her. His, in other words, his point to the, to the Greek church at Ephesus is, husbands, you're going to fix your marriage by loving you well and then loving her in the same way. Are, are you getting it? I'm saying part of fixing our marriages is dealing with the fact that I am lovable. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God. I am worth loving. I have to stop sending you the, this message in the spirit. I am lo I'm not lovable. If you knew me, you wouldn't like me. I'm rejected. No one likes me. It's not true because you're a child of God. It is natural for people to love you because you are the creation of a great God. Good word, Chris. Too late. Now, this word uh, love, there's four, there's at least four words in the Greek for love. There's four in the Bible. And this word love is the word agape. Agape love. Now, some people really write me and they're like, it's not pronounced agape, it's pronounced agaba. 
It's actually in the Greek, it's pronounced <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody speak Greek? How about German? Like, how do they make a language out of <laughs> Sorry, Germans, I'm just being funny. My name in German is <laughs> This, <laughs> sorry, sorry for that. This word agape, however it's pronounced in the Greek, is a love that transcends feelings. It's the love of God. It's the love that in which you want to do for others even more than you want to do for yourself. I'm saying, I'm not saying you perform for it, I'm saying you perform from it. I'm saying it is natural with agape love to treat people better than you treat you because this is the nature, this is actually the nature of agape love. Part of the challenge in loving ourselves is that we have the self-talk that goes on. Candace, I think, did a wonderful job last, I think it was last week, and she was sharing about psychologists talking about self-love and self-talk. And she said that self-talk, that we, everybody, everybody alive talks to themselves more than they talk to anyone else. And we speak 9,000 to 50,000 words to ourselves a day. 9,000 for the men and 50,000 for the women. (laughs) And more than that, even. And she made a statement. She said that psychologists tell us that 80% of our self-talk is negative. 80% of self-talk is negative. We have an enemy. In fact, in, in Revelation 12, it says that the accuser of the brethren accuses us day and night before God. When we don't like ourselves, we embrace the accuser's revelation about ourselves. Are you with me? That self-talk, why is that self-talk negative? The accuser is talking to us and we are breeding his revelation into our souls because we don't like ourselves and we are embracing his commentary on us instead of God's commentary on us. And I'm saying, when we love ourselves, we reject the accuser's daily commentary, and we say, no, I am a child of the king, I'm sorry I'm washed in the blood, and by the way, I have a new heart and a new mind, I am therefore, by nature, godly. That's a good word right there. Um, There's love intention, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk lately on social media about um, the Bible contradicts itself, and I completely agree. I think the Bible is written in tension. For for example, some of you are like, okay, I'll fix it in a minute, Let let me just say it that way for now. In Mark chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus says, Honor your mother and father is the first commandment with a promise. But in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, he says, unless you hate your mother and father, your sister and brother, you can't be my disciple. And and I think a lot of Christians, they have a flower. It's kind of like, this is their kingdom perspective. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And I propose that God actually wrote the Bible in intention, intentional, intention. He intentionally 
wrote opposing scriptures so that you could not follow Christ out of principle, only out of relationship. I propose that it's actually the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. That it takes the Word and the Spirit to be truth. If you're a first-year student, you're going to hear this message sometime towards the end of the year, all truth is not created equal, and we go through about 50 of those, and there, by the way, there's more than 200 of them in which God says this, and he says this. Sometimes he says this and this in the same verse. And you go, do I do that or I do that? See, the Bible was written with this core understanding that you would know the author. Part of, the, part of the challenge we have, I'm digressing slightly, but in school ministry, I want to make sure that people know the tensions. Because if you don't know the tension, you could be following the Lord by principle. Let's say, I only know, honor your mother and father. It's like, okay, the Bible says, honor your mother and father. But it also says that I have to hate my mother and father compared to my love for Jesus to follow him. If I don't know that's there, I think I'm following out of relationship, but I'm actually falling out of principle because I don't know the, the scripture that's intention. Did you get what I just said? In other words, I want to know the full counsel of God. I want to know both sides of truth. Then I ask Holy Spirit, do I apply this or do I apply this? Are you with me? So in that, in that spirit, another lady wrote me because <laughs> I wrote, you have to love yourself. And she wrote, in the last days, she quotes 2 Timothy 3.1, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come because men will be lovers of themselves. And she said, you are a false teacher. <laughs> you false teacher, you lovers, ear ticklers. <laughs> I looked up the word lovers of self, the word love there. It's interesting, it's not the word agape. It's actually only used one time in the entire New Testament, and it's the word that I won't even try to pronounce, but it means a lover of self describing someone preoccupied with their own selfish desires. How do I know if I have agape or this other kind of love? If I have love that doesn't benefit other people, I don't have agape. How do I know if I have the selfish love that Paul warned Timothy about, like, watch out for people who are lovers of themselves. And Chris is telling us we have to love ourselves. He's a false teacher. <laughs> no, no. If the love that you have for you doesn't benefit them, you got the wrong love. If you, the love you have for you only benefits you, you got the other Greek word that Chris couldn't pronounce. <laughs> now, now, Jesus, in John chapter 13, he steps it up another level. And he says this, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. Okay, I'm gonna give you a new commandment. Love one another, listen to this, as I have loved you. Down here, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus goes, I got a new one for you. Here's another level. Okay, I want you to love your neighbor as I love you. How many know that's a whole nother level? <laughs> love your neighbor as I have loved you is quite a bit different than love your neighbor as you love you. <laughs> the Lord's all like, listen, I'm going to give you the kind of love 
You're going to love people in a way they're not even going to know if you're human. <laughs> I'm going to give you agape, and when you love them, they're going to feel like they were loved by the Father when you love them, because you're not even loving them with the love you have for you. You're loving them with the love I have for you. Love that flows through us. I wrote this about marriage. Don't marry the person you fall in love with. It's a perfect bill pause. Don't marry the person you fall in love with. A fall is an accident, not an act of your will. If you fell once, chances are you can fall again for someone else. Grow in love because what you did by accident, you will need to do on purpose. A great marriage is never an accident. It's a covenantal choice that two people make with each other for life. It's only in the soil of sacrifice that the garden of true love can take root in the hearts of its companions. We are redefining love. We are, I'm saying, I'm not saying we are redefining love, I'm saying the world is redefining love. You've lost that love and feeling. Oh, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sort of started a little too low, low there. The world says, if you don't feel it, you don't have it. And I'd propose that love is not a feeling, that love enacts feelings. If a truck runs over my foot and I have pain, the pain is not love. The truck is. <laughs> it's an illustration by a mechanic. Help me. I'm saying the pain is not the truck. The pain is a manifestation of what the truck did. Love is not the pain. Love is the truck. I have the truck whether or not I feel like it. See, this is the problem. What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it? What's love? The pen and emotion. I don't even know that song, but it has everything to do with it. The challenge is, is that we reduce love to feelings and don't think we have love when we don't feel it. I remember when I was dating Kathy. In fact, I never even told her this story. This will be a revelation to her. I just remembered it like a week ago. And we dated for four years before we found Jesus. And then one more year after we found Jesus. And, and uh, so we got engaged when Kathy was 13. I was much more mature. I was 16. <laughs> got married when she was 17. I was 20. And the year before we married, we found Jesus and we began to walk with Jesus. And an interesting thing happened. For six months, I lost all feeling for Kathy. Didn't even tell her this is a revelation to her this morning. It really scared me. I didn't know if God was saying, you're marrying the wrong woman. You know, I was a brand new believer, one year old. But you know when you're a brand new believer, how the Lord seems to speak to you so clearly? And then like year two, you're like, I know you're out there somewhere. You know, kind of like that, right? 
And so three, about, about three months passed. I don't know if my memory's perfect in the, in the time, but uh, several months passed, and I was really like seeking the Lord. Kathy and I were both seeking the Lord. And I was like, Lord, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't feel anything. We're together. Like, the goosebumps are gone. And the Lord said to me, I took away the feeling so that if you can love her through sacrifice, you're ready for covenant. The Lord said, I took away the feeling so that if you can love her through sacrifice, then you're ready for covenant. Because how many know that marriage is a death march to a life camp? (laughs) I've come here to lay down my life for you. And so it was gone, 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 gone. (laughs) And by the way, that song was written in that time, so it was speaking to... (laughs) the wrong spirit in my, me. On a serious note, it was gone for probably around six months. And then one day it came back just as quickly as it was gone. But what it did is it laid a foundation for me in our marriage. There are days when you wake up and the butterflies are gone and the goosebumps are gone. Because of what happened in that year before we married, I've never once questioned whether I've lost that love and feeling. Because I remember that the Lord said, if you can love through sacrifice without feeling, you're ready for covenant. So when I wake up in the morning, and this has happened many times through our marriage, obviously we go through difficult times, we go through tough times, we go through pressure times, when, the, the, when feelings for anyone are gone. I never have to think, I wonder if there's something wrong with me. I wonder if I don't love her anymore. Because the Lord said to me, you'll love with feeling, but you'll love with sacrifice. This is the way of love. This is agape love, that you love whether or not you feel like it. As a matter of fact, I, feel like, I, I want to say, how I feel is not how I am. We often answer each other when we say, how are you doing? And I tell you how I feel. Uh, by the way, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, it's just for the sake of teaching about love. It's fine to say, gosh, I'm having a tough day today. I'm simply saying the truth is how I feel is not how I am. And by the way, we won't take this too far today, but how I feel is not who I am. Culture has completely redefined love and identity. And now we base everything on how I'm feeling. By the way, you can be feeling awesome and not have a relationship with God. Don't bother him. He's having fun. And he's on the highway to hell. (laughs) I don't know that one. I remember years ago, Dan and I were, were doing most of the marriage counseling the first few years here, and this couple came in. I, I think my recollection may not be accurate, but I think it was the first month or two that I, I was counseling this woman, and she had already filed for divorce, and she came in to see me, and I was working with her a little bit, and uh, I think I met her a couple times, and she said, you know, would you meet with my husband? He would like to meet with you, you know, and I, I was kind of like, you know, she'd already described him as a monster, you know? But I figured out now that I'm older, 
that wherever there's a monster, you know, there's a mad scientist. But anyway, at that time, I didn't know that. <laughs> so I, she said, would you? <laughs> it takes two, baby. Hey. Okay. Man, I'm going to be on the worship team pretty soon. I've been... They won't let me audition, man, so I'm just doing it when I'm preaching. So she brings Igor in, and he's totally nervous, man. He is, he is, he is terrified. He, he, he doesn't look up when I, hi, hi, come on in, Igor, and go to shake hands. And his hands sweaty. He's shaking. You know, you, you know, I like, I know he's a monster, but you ever feel sorry for the monster? Like, I, I feel so much compassion for the monster, you know? So he's sitting there, and I said to her, why don't you start off, just share with, with Igor the challenges you have. And so she starts, like, just wailing on him, like a machine gun, just accusation after accusation, and 15 minutes goes on. And she's like, and you never, and you always, and you never, and you always. And the last thing I remember her saying is, and every day you leave your underwear on the floor for 15 freaking years. Your underwear's on the floor every morning. And I ask for 15 years, can you please pick up your underwear? And you don't do it for 15 years. And finally... His fear is overcome by his anger. And he looks up, almost like out of a stupor, and he says, I took you to Paris twice last year. I took you to Paris twice last year. That's his response to, you always leave your underwear on the floor. <laughs> I took you to Paris twice last year, he yells. And she's like, bah! And they start, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, time out. In your corners. And I turn to Igor, and I say, Igor, you can't fix with a Paris trip what you broke with your underwear. He goes, who? He looks at me with this big question mark. I said, you can't fix with your underwear, you can't fix with a Paris trip what you broke with your underwear. I said, dude, listen, you can't fix with an event what you broke with your disrespect. He looks at me as if it was the first time he's ever heard that thought. I said, love, the love of God respects one another. It's not just taking someone on a special trip. Love happens every day in the life of people you're in relationship with. It can't happen twice a year. It's the truth. Here's Chris's advice to a great marriage. It's not my only line. <laughs> Just be clear. The meme isn't the only thing I know about marriage. Just be clear. Do what you do when you feel like it, when you don't. How do you have a good marriage? Do what you do when you feel love, when you don't feel love. When you don't feel love, treat the person the same way as when you feel it. And you will probably have a great marriage with the three other things that, I, that are on other memes.
In Ephesians, the Lord makes this amazing statement. I think Bill was the first one to point it out to me. And for the sake of time, I'll just read this part. Paul said, I want you to know the love of God. Here's one of those scriptures in tension. I want you to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That doesn't make sense. The Lord's like, I want you to know what's not knowable. Thank you. And Bill pointed out that the word there, I want you to know, is that intimate, like in the, in the Hebrew, it's, it's yada. I want you to experience the love that you couldn't possibly understand through your intellect. Like there is a love that God has for us. This agape love is first experienced and later, later explained. As a matter of fact, I propose it's hard to explain agape love to people who haven't experienced it. Um, think about this. Have you ever tried to explain to a 10-year-old what romantic love is like? They see two people kissing on the movies. They're like, oh, cooties. And you're like, son, let me explain to you why they're kissing. Now, this is what kissing does for you. Here are the 12 attributes of kissing. Not helpful. You know why? Because he hasn't experienced it yet. But once he's experienced romantic love, when I start explaining it, he will experience what I'm explaining. You know what I'm saying, right? He will experience what I'm explaining, and it's not so much the words that I'm using, but the fact that I drew through my words, through my definition, I drew him back to the experience, and now he knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's very difficult to explain the love of God to someone who hasn't experienced it. So it's important. We go, well, 1 Corinthians 13. And by the way, the lady wrote that to me too. That was so cute. <laughs> Love's explained right here. I'm like, that is a partial explanation of love. But the full explanation of love must be experienced because God is love. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Verse 27, Jesus is speaking, and he said, love your enemies and do, to those, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, smack him on the other side. Oh, that's a passion translation. <laughs> whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him also the other. And whoever takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks, and whoever, takes, and whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. Treat others the way, you want to, you, the way you want to be treated. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? I want to stop for just a minute. What credit is that to you? The word credit, that word credit in the New American Standard Version is translated grace 153 times. Did you get what I just said? The Lord just said, if you don't love, if you, if, you, if you only love people who love you, what grace do you have in your life? He goes on to say this. If you do good to those who do good to you, what grace, what credit do you have? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those who, and who you expect to receive, what grace is there to you? What credit? When even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love, that's word there is agape, 
Agape your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And, you, and your reward will be great, and you will be, the, and you will be the sons of the Most High. And he himself, who's kind, he himself is kind and grateful to good and evil men. Here's the point. Like, how do I love an enemy? Do you know you can't love the enemy until you make a decision to, and as soon as you do, you have grace for it? If I sit here and think about, what would I do if someone hit me? Without grace, I think I would defend myself. And by the way, there, are, there is another side to this coin. Jesus is not passive. He got a whip and chased people out. People are like, but he didn't hit anybody. Whatever. <laughs> My point is, is that Jesus is saying, if you will make a decision to love your enemies, you will get grace to do what you just decided to do, what you couldn't do one second before you made a decision to. And they will experience agape because it's flowing through you because it, flew to, because it flowed to you. Are you with me? I think that, I think that our nation is starving for Christians to actually keep the first two commandments. I think that we have a mandate on this house to influence nations. I believe that the White House, the door of the White House will be open. In fact, I know that it is through some things that have happened in the last few weeks. But the door of the White House is opening. I believe that the doors of kings will open. Isaiah 60 uh, says that kings will come. Your gates will be open continually. They will not be closed day or night. That the wealth of nations will come to you and kings will be leading the processions. I believe that God wants us to influence kings. But here's the challenge. You can't influence who you don't love. I want to read you a part of a blog I wrote the other day. Christians have largely lost their mandate and their mission to love everyone, whether or not they agree with them. This, of course, would include enemies, political parties, ethnic groups, and people of every persuasion. We are under tons of pressure to give people evil titles, judge their intentions, and villainize anyone in whom we disagree. We freely call people bigots, Nazis, haters, homophobic, Jezebel, racists, simply because we don't agree with them. The goal of these slanderous proclamations is obviously to scare people into silence, to muzzle the opponent, to humiliate disagreeers. Furthermore, believers are commissioned to, first of all, Paul wrote, I urge you in treaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and those who are in authority that you may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. It's important to remember that Paul wrote those words to Timothy when Nero was ruling. Did you hear what I just said? Paul just said, pray for kings. Who was ruling? Nero. Our president, uh, I'll I'll just read you this. I, I shared it to you. Our president visited a church recently and the pastor had the congregation pray for him. This led to such a huge backlash from the congregation that the pastor eventually apologized for praying for the president. If that happened in our church, I would write a letter of rebuke to the congregation. In a separate incident, a friend of mine has a ch- who has a church, uh, a friend of mine's church was visited by President Trump unexpectedly. My friend brought him up front and had the leaders pray for him. Consequently, he lost half his congregation. When Mr. Obama was president of our nation, I said several times on social media and on Sunday from this podium that I love President Obama. He is not the president, he is my president. 
It doesn't matter whether I voted for him or not. This is a democracy, and the Bible says the lot is cast, but the decision belongs to the... It's the Lord is the end of that. <laughs> my love for our presidents is not based on my agreement with their policies, core values, or, or moral strategies. They are human beings who God loves, his sons and daughters, and they are leaders of our country. They need our prayers and our support. I think that we have been influenced by the leaven of Herod and by the leaven of the Pharisees. The teachings of, of, of Herod, the political spirit, and the teachings of the Pharisees, the religious spirit, has infiltrated the church. And we're beginning to think like they think and not realize that we are, our worldly mindset is affecting our ability to actually influence kings. Daniel, Daniel was in Babylon. He was taken captive. He was a POW, a prisoner of war. He was taken captive when Nebuchadnezzar went into, Is, went into Israel tore down Solomon's temple, destroyed Israel, and carried all of his family off as POWs into Babylon. And by the way, very interesting, God called Nebuchadnezzar my servant. Nebuchadnezzar is a crazy man. He makes the North Korean dictator look like a school bully. He's building statues to himself, and he's killing anyone who won't worship him. But you know who's serving him? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When Nebuchadnezzar has a bad dream about himself, he comes to Daniel and he said, I had this dream, here's the dream, I had this dream about a tree, a tree got cut down, just a stump. Daniel hears the dream and the interpretation of the dream, which the king is asking for, and when he hears the dream and realizes that the king just dreamt about himself, it says that Daniel's face went pale. And when the king saw that, he realized that it was going to be a bad interpretation. And Daniel said, and the king says, I want it. Tell me the truth. He said, I wish this dream was about your enemies and not about you. A little insight into why Daniel got to influence two kingdoms, Persia and Babylon. Why Daniel shifted the course of history, because he found agape for people who didn't deserve it, and he shifted the course of history because God only gives influence to people who have love for the people he sends them to. And consequently, it leads to Nebuchadnezzar having a personal encounter with God. Daniel, years later, the third king he served was named Darius. He was the king of Persia. You'll remember the story, Daniel and the lion's den, that the king, king Darius actually liked Daniel, and Daniel had favor with him, but he gets tricked into putting Daniel in the lion's den. And the Bible says this, it's in, by the way, it's in Daniel chapter 6. He says, it says that the king fasted all night. Now I want to say that I do the same. I do biblical fast, I fast all night, and I break fast in the morning. <laughs> you know what? You gotta be a king to get credit for fasting while you're sleeping. I mean, hello, everyone fasts at night. But it says that Darius, King Darius, fasted all night. 
And then in the morning, it says, at dawn, he, at sunrise, he runs to the den, and while he's still a long ways away, expressing his anxiety, he yells, oh, Daniel, was your God who served day and night able to save you? And here's what he hears, here's what he, this is what he hears from Daniel, who's still in the den. Oh, king, may you live forever. Now, you know why the lions didn't eat him, right? He was 92, and he got thrown in the lion's den. The lions were like, nah. That was a joke, of course. What's the point? The point is, Daniel taps in to agape. He loves kings in whom he really disagrees with. He has no political agreement with Nebuchadnezzar whatsoever. None. He has very little disagreement, I mean, very little agreement with Darius. And yet, God allows him to be in Babylon for 70 years, praying, opening his windows three times a day towards Jerusalem, and finally influencing the king named Cyrus, who lets them go. But why? What is the secret to Daniel's influence? I can tell you right now what it is. I've read the book over and over and over. I've been reading it almost every month. What's the secret? God gave him agape for kings. And because he had agape for kings he didn't agree with, he had influence. Guys, I want to say this in the most kindest way I can think of. We've got to ditch the political spirit. We've got to ditch it. We got a governor of California, if you're in California, he's got, he's got to have prayer. He's got to, he needs love. I don't at all mean that we should be zombies, just that are mindless and can't push back on policy. But policy is much different than judging someone's heart. You don't have a right to judge people's heart. Stand up and say whatever you want in honor and in godliness, but be careful when you talk about a person because you are talking about God's sons and God's daughters. Be careful, because remember, you can judge what someone does. In fact, Jesus tells us to judge fruit. We are fruit checkers. But be careful that you don't determine that you know their heart. Because most people in the Old Testament wouldn't even become elders in our church if you would have judged their hearts. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelaton.com. Have an awesome day.